Turn to Genesis chapter 15. The uh, coronavirus, earthquakes. You remember Cindy and I and her sister and brother-in-law experienced that uh, while we were on the cruise down in the southern Caribbean. Earthquake. There was another earthquake down there in Puerto Rico area. So they're not just happening on the Pacific Rim, but they're happening in the Caribbean. Things are ramping up. Be prepared. Get ready. Jesus could come back, and we know that. And so I believe he's going to bring, bring revival. He'll bring revival. I was look, listening to <clears throat> I listen to the news. I keep up with, with those things. And sometimes I really have to walk away because it, it's, very, it's discouraging. And so I have to really focus on that the Lord about these things. And today that's what I want to talk about because they're saying here a couple of things. Number one, uh, coronavirus, that if, um, uh, you know, there is some chance, obviously, we need to pray against it, but we, they said some chance that it may come over here and it could be like a pandemic. And so um, we need to obviously focus, get our relationship with the Lord and be prepared because we know... Um, when preparation, that we won't be deceived when that time comes. And so preparation. But we're going to look at, don't be afraid. Do not fear. Fear not. How many times in the Bible have you read that? Many times, right? Never, do not be afraid. You know, one of the most stifling things that you can face in life is being afraid. It can be debilitating. Being afraid. What's the future hold? What's my family going to be like? What... What, what will happen to my family, what, about my, my life, or about my surroundings and so forth? What will happen in our country, obviously? And there's some frightening things to me that are happening here. Uh, I'm an old guy of freedom, okay? And a lot of people willing to make changes to keep that, uh, to, uh, to somehow compromise that freedom. So there are a lot of changes here. But one thing we know of, and that is we're not to be afraid. We're going to talk about it. Genesis chapter 15, verse 1 says this. And y'all can stand if you'd like, and we'll read this together, if you would, please. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. One verse. Do not be afraid, obviously. Um, <clears throat> and what was happening here was that um, Abraham had attacked uh, four countries, four kings, and um, they... Actually, he only went up against them with, listen to this, 318 men. Only 318 men. And here these large armies under these kings, he defeated them, actually. Uh, he took them by surprise and he defeated them. And remember his uh, nephew Lot? He rescued Lot. Lot had strayed away from the Lord. He pitched his tent, actually, the, the scriptures say, near Sodom. <clears throat> remember what happened to Sodom and Gomorrah? Remember what was happening? There was so many uh, horrible, I mean, just the immorality in that, that area was horrible. And, and Lot got sucked in by that. And, uh, and so Abraham went and rescued him. But it was a miracle that he was actually rescued because Abraham only used, he only had 318 men and he defeated these, these big armies there and all. But, and he did that by faith. But after Abraham had been used by the Lord to accomplish that, he started having second thoughts. And these thoughts were, he said, what will happen? Will these kings realize that I call them by surprise and they'll get prepared and then uh, they're going to attack me again. They're going to come back 
and they're going to uh, seek revenge on me for all of these things. He started really second-guessing himself. And I want to look at it in practical terms this morning. How many times have you ever really maybe stepped out in faith? You did something you felt like the Lord uh, told you to do and, and so forth, and then you started sort of kind of backtracking, beginning to backtrack, and said, did I really hear from the Lord? Or was I presumptuous in hearing of the Lord? Was it really God speaking to me? Did I really have faith and step out? And was that just kind of a, you know, I always say the pizza that I ate? Or was it God? Okay. So we had those thoughts. And let me give you a good example of that too. Uh, I always uh, teach on, and I don't teach a lot, but when I do, I teach on the tithe. In Malachi chapter 3, it says, you know, that the people had robbed God. And, and the people said, how have we robbed you? And he said, because you haven't brought the tithe into the storehouse. But God says, I tell you this. He said, if you'll bring the tithe, and that's 10% before taxes are taken out, you'll bring the tithe in to the storehouse. I'll pour out blessings upon you that won't be able to be held at all. They'll be like, I'll lavish it on you. I'll just pour it out on you if you'll do what I told you to do. And maybe at that time when you did, maybe if you're tithing and you, you stepped out in faith and all, and, and maybe even a lot of us are on fixed income in here and you did that anyway, and, and you said, what have I done? Because I haven't got this, but just a small amount to live on and so forth. And so how can I do that? And yet we know that when God uh, gives us a, a particular thing, a, a scripture to, uh, to say, let's do this, we know he always backs up his word, always, always. But Abraham was having the same problem here. He's saying, you know, uh, I have, uh, I've done what was wrong. I, I, these people are going to come back and get me. And what happened was, is Abraham panicked. He panicked at that time. A sick feeling hits the bottom of his stomach. And he goes, what have I done? You know, they're going to be furious. They're going to be coming back against me. And I'm in big, big trouble. And what am I going to do? Because I know defeating these armies is beyond myself and so forth. And what did Abraham do? He trusted God in this. And so even in that, uh, what happened? So, you know, the circumstances haven't changed, but my thinking has. The battlefield for your mind of the enemy of our soul, Satan himself and his demonic horde, is the battlefield of your mind. He will hit your mind and he'll start putting thoughts in there because he does not know what you're thinking, but he can speak. He can put thoughts in your mind and you begin to think about you. You're just not able to do what God's called you to do. You begin to doubt what God has said about you and you'll be, you'll, you'll say, I'm just a no good this and that. Okay. I'm no good. Satan will continue to plunder you and tell you you're not worth a plug nickel. He'll tell you that over and over again. But we need to protect our mind with, obviously, the full armor of God and the helmet of salvation. We need to put that full armor of God on all the time. Give an example. I've shared this before, my particular testimony of what happened. Uh, I was in a corporation. I was in manufacturing management, steel fabrication. I was moving up pretty much. I was making, at that time, pretty good money. I had bonuses and so forth, some bonus and, and all, and and I had a good reputation. Uh, I, I worked a large number of men, and that was in actually Virginia, and then moved to Tennessee. And then when we finally moved to Texas about 40 years ago, it was in Pearland. And I was over a particular plant. I was right under the plant manager, and we, we operated, and we had a lot of men doing fabrication and so forth like that. One day, the Lord spoke to me, 
and it was in uh, February of 1986, and I was in my shower, and he said, are you still going to love me if you lose your security? And I heard it, and I thought, what is he, what? I heard, I felt, Lord, it was a, not a voice, but it was strong impression on my just innermost being. And so the next day, I thought, I don't know what that means, Lord, I don't know. I know you've spoken, but I didn't know what it meant. The next morning at 10 o'clock, I remember the time, the, the president of the country the company called me in, and he said, I'm going to lay you off. And I said, uh, okay, praise the Lord. He said, what? I said, praise the Lord. I knew God was doing something because God had begun to change my life a couple years, three years. I mean, he's always working, but really dynamically where I could see that his grace was really abounding in my life. And I said, okay, that's fine and all. And he said, what? And he said, went on and turned my truck keys in and everything else and all. Went home and thought about it. I said, Lord, what am I going to do now? I have no idea what I'm going to do. And you remember what I did was <clears throat> actually uh, two, two days later, the president called me and said, I want to call, I want to hire you. I want to bring you back in. And it was like he would never, he was a real proud man. He never would say that he made a mistake, but he, he was real proud. He said, I want to call you back because the people of the company said, what have you done? And I said, no. I said, you've already spoken. I said, I'm not coming back. I hung up the phone. I can remember at that time, what have I done? right? I knew God was up to something. And I know it was some faith involved in that, although it was probably the size of the mustard seed, trust me. But I knew God was doing something. I went, no. And But I said, what have I done? I was going up. I was doing great. You know, financially, Cindy was teaching in Pearland. And, you know, we were obviously doing this and that. And man, after that, everything changed. And I began to seek the Lord and all that. You remember my uh, lack of salesman's ability that I tried to sell water conditioners and Alvin and, and the area and so forth. And I couldn't sell anything. I couldn't sell one of those things if my life depended on it. And the guy that worked with me, who was a part of uh, one of the churches there in Dickinson and all that, and knowing well, the strong Christian and stuff, I would have to get my equipment all cleaned up and polished and everything else. And he would go in there and his equipment would be all dirty and all smudged up. He wouldn't care about cleaning. And he would sell one every time he went in. And I said, well, what is going on around here? Well, I, you know, we all think and we chuckle because it's like, hey, you know, uh, we're going to be able to get through this. But over the period of time, you know, I was like, so like, Lord, I've messed up here. You know, this walk of faith is for the birds, okay? And yet God was trying to strengthen my faith. And he was doing things. And, and I was like, Lord, let's get on with it then. Because you got a better money, you got a bigger job and more money. So what I did, I stayed with my parents in Virginia. I flew up there. Cindy continued to teach over here in, in Pearland. <clears throat> and, uh, they, uh, I went up and interviewed for a job in Indianapolis, Indiana. And uh, it was for a plant manager. And I knew, obviously, the chemistry between me and the guy that would hire me to be my boss was great. And uh, it would be, you know, really good money and so forth. And all was what I could do and so forth. And he said, Jim, I want to I hire you. But he said, I, I don't have the permission from the board yet, but I will get it because you're the one we're going to hire. And I said, he said, just hold on. So I came on back home, came back to Texas and so forth. And I waited and I waited and I waited. So what did I do? I got a book, and it was a Christian book, entitled Waiting on the Lord. Let me tell you, I, I read that book, and I was not encouraged by that book. 
because the waiting on the Lord, none of us want to do. But it's there. God causes and has us to wait on the Lord to see a fulfillment of what he has. And so finally, in fact, you know, as we moved a couple of times since then, all that threw that book away. <laughs> I said, I don't want to hear this. And, and I waited and waited. And so finally somebody, because God was working and I began doing some teaching in the Little Baptist Church in Pearland and all this stuff, and people started to say, Jim, is you sure the Lord's not calling you some type of full-time Christian ministry? I said, no, it's uh, for another bigger job and for bigger money. I'm waiting on it. That job in Indianapolis is going to open for me and so forth. And they said, you need to pray about it. I said, all right. So I reluctantly began to pray about it. God began to change my heart began to break me and show me that what he had called me to do to share the gospel. And so what I did was I walked the aisle of the little church over in Pearland one night and gave my heart to Jesus. I didn't really even know what it was to make Jesus Lord of my life. And maybe y'all are sitting here today. What does that mean? What does that mean when you take and totally surrender your life to the Lord and you totally give your life and say, Lord, I'm yours and I don't care what you do with me. I don't care where you send me and I don't care what you tell me to say. And when you totally surrender your life to the Lord, and I did that, walked that aisle, and things started to open. And I said, what do I do now? Do I go to seminary? I have a business management degree, a BS in business management and so forth from, you know, a college in Virginia and so forth. And, and I did that, and I thought, well, dang, what do I do? I, and all. And so I prayed. I called HBU, which I thought that was the first response, is, is to go and get in HBU because Southwestern Seminary was holding classes at HBU over off of... Uh, the north-southwest side of, of town. And so I called them. They said, Jim, we can't get you in. We're all booked up and so forth. I said, what I do, Lord? What I do? And so I noticed, I remembered, I was reading a, pa- a, a paper that had a, a little caption down here of a little seminary that had been in existence down, that met down in the medical center. And so I read, I read that. I went, I feel like there's something to this. And so I, I called them and they said, well, yeah, come down and so forth. And uh, what happened was I went down and I started the next night going to school at night and working substitute teacher in Pearland and stuffing envelopes. Uh, as you remember, we used to have check, checks, uh, canceled checks, stuffing envelopes for $5 an hour. Cindy kept teaching and uh, I, uh, I did that. And as soon as I started and gave, started the seminary, I believe it was one day after that or two days after that, the man from Indianapolis called me and said, we read to hire you. And I said, you're too late. You're too late. I'm, I'm going a different direction. I hung up the phone. And I said, what have I done? What have I done? I said, where am I going to go? I don't know what to do. You know, I, I got through college, but I'm not a, a straight A student, trust me. Okay. I said, what am I going to do now? Have I made the right decision? You see, Abraham said the same thing. But what did God tell Abraham? He said, don't be afraid. He said, I am your shield. I am the one that will take care of you. Do not be afraid. And God speaks that to us today. You know that? No matter whether the coronavirus is going around or whether or not there are earthquakes everywhere else, whether or not we're really preparing, and we are, for the return of Jesus Christ. We are. I don't know when, but we need to be ready, don't we? We're preparing for revival, for God to revive us with fire as we've heard, we've played here. I want to tell you, 
God, when we get a word from God, when God speaks to us many times, we'll, we'll go, wow, we'll start moving on it. And then all of a sudden, the enemy will come and start putting doubts in your heart. Again, what, it, what you do with your life and what you do maybe here at Lighthouse Fellowship or what you do, uh, obviously, out in the world and so forth, you know, God is preparing you and me. God is getting us ready. And I believe that's beginning to hasten. I believe that's beginning to accelerate. Trust me. That's why I said there are breakthroughs coming. Christians that are, have strongholds in their lives. And I believe that, you know, the Bible says that we walk in the light as he is in the light. We have fellowship one with another and the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all of our sins. We walk in the light. There's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. And we come and, and say, Lord, get this off of me. And you have brothers and sisters in Christ today, the ones that we can come together. And that's why we, when we have prayer time, that's so important. We're walking in the light, folks. Because he's in the light. When you bring it out in the light, all of us know that obviously it's, it doesn't have the power over you that it would be if you kept it in. All these things in our lives. And God doesn't condemn us. He says, come to me. You know, it's kind of like, too, when you go into a, into a house and so forth and, and they've got roaches and all that. You turn the lights on, man, they're scattering, aren't they? I mean, they're really scattering. Okay, you turn the light on. And that stronghold begins to break in your life and my life. And he begins to release us and we walk in freedom. He said, don't be afraid because you see, fear is a tormenting emotional state. The Bible says perfect love casts out all fear. And it also says in 2 Timothy, for God didn't give us a spirit of fear, but of love, power, and sound mind. He didn't give it. So there is a spirit behind it. And it's not the Holy Spirit, trust me. There's a spirit. There's a demonic spirit behind it. And what today, what we see today, and what I see, because in my hospice journeys, I saw so many people all over the city. I see people with, with panic situations. You know, they go into a panic mode and so forth. And there's no condemnation when I speak these. Remember, there's only freedom that Jesus wants to bring to his, to his people, to his children today. But many people are, are walking in that bondage and stronghold of panicking every time that maybe something comes along. And you know what will happen there before the tribulation? The whole world's going to panic because when the Antichrist comes in and takes over and, and they bow their knees and hearts to the Antichrist and all that, it's going to be horrible, folks. We don't want to go through that. So we need to get ready, but we don't have the fear. Obviously, the word came to the Lord, came to Abraham. Do not be afraid. I'm your shield. He didn't say that I'll put a shield around you. He said, I will be your shield. Isn't that good news? I will be your shield, he says in there. And so obviously we know the opposite of faith is what? What would you say? Anybody here? Nothing, no wrong answers. The opposite of faith. What do you say, Jerry? Doubt. Anybody else? Thank you. That's fear. Fear, right? Okay. Okay, good, good answer. Both of them are not wrong. Doubt leads us into faith. But what the, the opposite of fear actually is worry. Of, of, I mean, of faith is worry. How many of us, we worry about everything, don't we? Worry about our finances. We worry about this and that. And the Bible tells us real clearly, don't worry about tomorrow because tomorrow I have enough, obviously, worries of its own. He said, because my father who takes care of the birds of the air are going to take care of you. So worry is something, the opposite of faith. And we know that faith is something that pleases the Lord. We know it, it turns and stirs the heart of God Almighty. We don't worry about those things. You know, I don't know about you. I worry about stuff, okay? I'll be honest with you. I'm confessing before the whole congregation today. 
You think I got it all together? <laughs> You're wrong. <laughs> I worry about this and this and that and all that. But I need to be reminded what the Word of God says. It's the Word of God comes to Jim and says, don't worry. Don't worry about that. God's going to take care of it. God's going to take care of it. You go, yeah, but what about all the mistakes I've made and so forth? There's always consequences of those. But even in that, God gives grace. He gives grace and, and so forth. Yeah, you say, well, what about Hebrews 12? It says he disciplines us and so forth. Yeah, but he gives grace in that. And he says he disciplines us for our good. And that's what happens. He's getting us ready. He doesn't want a, you know, a, a church that's out of shape. <laughs> I can't run anymore. I can walk. Thank the Lord. Aren't you glad you can walk? You got in here today, you know? And uh, it doesn't make any difference you came with with assistance or not, you came to church. Praise God. Thank you, Lord. Exodus 14 says, Israel looked up and saw Pharaoh's army charging at them, and the Red Sea was at their back, and they had no place to run. Remember what Moses said to them? Don't be afraid. I mean, here was the whole Egyptian army, huge. They're going to slaughter these people. And they were up against the Red Sea. Remember, and Moses looked around and basically said, God, what do you want me to do now? And he said, remember, raise your staff. But he said, don't be afraid. God's going to take care of it. That's one thing he tells us, is don't be afraid to believe God, to trust God. The Bible says that Abraham believed God and he credited to him as righteousness. In other words, he put righteousness in his account and he emptied out the old account of his sin and all the things of shame and all the stuff in his life. And what did he do? He put his righteousness in us. And that's what he does to us. He robes us in the robe of righteousness. He takes away our sin. He took the sins of the world. So if you're in here today and you feel like, hey, there's sin there in your life, then confess it to the Lord, get on, get up, and move out because the robe of righteousness is covering you. It's only when we allow it in any way, and then God comes along and touches us. We see we need that breakthrough, don't we? Don't worry about it here. I'm your shield. See, Abraham was uh, actually facing two fears. One, the likelihood of these kings retaliating and coming back on them. There And the second was the fear of poverty. How many of us today have like a, a, a fear of poverty that we're not going to have enough? We're not going to make it. Man, my social security is running dry. It's tight. And I maybe have the borrow from this or borrow from that and so forth. But I'm not going to make it. My, you know, 401k or whatever it is. I mean, you know, is it, it being, uh, it's not coming in as fast as it's going out. We're going to be able to make it. The fear of poverty are one of the greatest stifling things in a Christian's life, you see. Actually, what happened here, if you remember here in the story, we won't go into it, but actually, once Abraham defeated those four kings, the king of Sodom came up and he said this. He said, I want to give you just lavish abundance on your life. I want to give you all this stuff. I mean, you defeated us. I want to give you the plunder, so to speak. I want to give you this stuff. I want, I want to take care of you. Remember what Abraham said? No, the Lord will take care of me. Was he pious? Was he crazy? Did he hear God? You know, we're not to turn away help, certainly, and, and all when God sends it our way. But we need to distinguish what God wants us to receive and what he wants us to trust him for. And he's totally trustworthy. Because again, faith moves the heart of God. And so the fear of poverty, I was in Ecuador, uh, you remember several years ago, uh, and 
I was in a little place outside of Quito, Ecuador, South America. This happens to be called San Antonio. You remember me talking to you about it. They feed the kids out there because it's a very impoverished place. Uh, it, it has dirt roads where their houses are. They're cinder block uh, um, houses and so forth. And some of the kids that they've been ministering to, our church down in uh, Quito, uh, actually have been going there for some years and the kids have grown up and so forth. And they'll go over to San Antonio and feed the kids and teach them about Jesus. And a lot of them have been raised Christian now. And I was walking around the property that the church owns there in San Antonio one day. And it's a, a good-sized piece of property with some buildings where they can teach and feed the children on Friday night and so forth. And I was saying, Lord, why is this place so impoverished? And I felt like what God was saying was a spirit of poverty it was hanging over this place. So I began to pray. I asked the Lord to break strongholds off of this, pro off of this area here because there are strongholds in certain areas. You know, even in our city, you see different strongholds even where there seems to be just a, a mass thing of drugs in a particular area or maybe uh, we see uh, in the Montrose area and what goes on there. It's, a, it's like a, a principality has a charge over that area and so forth. And I began to pray against it and so forth and uh, just felt like the Lord broke down some things in that time, just prayer. Remember the weapons of our warfare, are not carnal, they're prayer. I wasn't taking any credit for it. It was prayer and asking God to do these things. So poverty is really a debilitating also. But Abraham believed God. He said, no, I don't want your riches. I'm going to believe God for it. Can we say that today? If all everything was taken away from you, how about our Social Security? How about if the government came in and took away our 401k? What if the government came in and took away the savings that we had or began to tax us at such a rate that obviously we didn't really have enough money to live like we have in the past? What would we do? we got to trust God and not be afraid. Because if we're afraid in that, you'll be deal, but you will go the way of the world, you see. If we don't realize God is interacting in our affairs in every aspect of our life, what happens is, we begin to move with the currents of the culture. We begin to move just like the world does. And that's why many people say there's no difference today in the church than there is in the world because they don't see the Lord Jesus Christ shining through our lives because there's been compromise in our lives. And God is saying today that we've got to trust Him and not be afraid. Don't be afraid about your finances. Don't be afraid about your children. Don't be afraid about your families. Don't be afraid about this culture today. Pray, pray, pray. And ask the Lord to do that. Change the hearts of men. It's the only answer today. Abraham believed God. And God credited to him as righteousness. I walked down that aisle, that little church. And I surrendered. And I said, Lord, let me tell you. I have not walked it perfectly since then. Don't get me wrong. And I'm not standing up here trying to be pious before you at all. It's been challenges. Because Cindy was working there as a te teacher. Everything was taken away in that sense in my job. All security there. What would you do? You lose your, will you still love me if you lose your security? I heard it real clear. I'll never forget it. It was in February of 1986. I heard that. The next day I was laid off. Where's your security today? I was walking, I planted a church in, uh, along with many others uh, as a pastor in West Houston um, years ago. 
and our finances were draining. We didn't have a lot of money, didn't have much. Uh, they were paying me just minimally, not much at all. And I walk in one morning, I was crying out to the Lord. And I said, Lord, we're getting ready to go under here. We don't have money. And I remember the Lord spoke to me through Scripture. And he said, no king is saved by the size of his army. And what that means is none of us are saved by the size of our bank account. Because that can, that can go in a heartbeat. Your job and your security can leave you in a heartbeat. But what does God say to that? I want to tell you, just encourage you today, do not be afraid to trust in the Lord uh, with all of your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. In all of your ways, acknowledge Him because He will direct your path. Trust the Lord. It's faith. It's for faith. So in the things that we know God is telling you to do regardless because what happens is we begin to hold back and we begin to hoard it. We begin to collect it and we say, oh, I've got this security and man, I'm building it up and so forth. And we know what the Bible says about that. God says, don't be deceived by the doctrine of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, which really what that means is don't be deceived because see, the Pharisees and the Sadducees were selfish. They walked through the streets with their flowing robes and they said, hey, look at me. Look at me, and this is all about me, and I'm going I'm to take all from you because they were greedy and they held it in and all that. And God told his disciples, do not be deceived by the doctrine of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And what does that mean? Don't be selfish. When God tells you to give, then give. That's between you and God. But let me tell you today, I have seen God bless us I told you about Bibles. We went to a conference in Kansas City, Cindy and I, and I've used this illustration many times because it was so clear. And uh, we were sitting there, and they were when Bibles first went into Russia, in the Soviet Union. And um, uh, a particular pastor, well-known, he, he was collecting and so forth. He was reputable and all. And, and it was a big conference of people. And the pastor said, pray and ask the Lord what he would have you to give. And, and then step out in faith as the Lord leads you and so forth. So we, Cindy and I, we shut our eyes. And um, I, I, I got a figure. And it was a pretty large figure. And so I started scrambling and thinking, rationalizing. That is not God. I wouldn't make him much as a pastor anyway. And Cindy's making a teacher's house. I said, well, no. I went, no. Nah. I went on. So here I'm, I'm going to start scrambling to justify it. And so I, when he says, okay, everybody, anybody get an answer and so forth, just come on down front and so forth. And uh, I looked at Cindy and I said, what did God tell you? I was hoping she'd say a lot less. <laughs> what she said was, she said, he hadn't said anything to me. What did he say to you? And I didn't want to say because I knew what Cindy's answer would be. Okay. And I told her the figure he told me. And she said, then you go do it. We walked down front and, and put that check in that box and all with thousands of other people too. And by the way, I've heard even recently about what happened as a result of these Bibles, these Bibles at that particular conference years ago that went into Russia and people obviously was, were evangelized in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. But anyway, we put it in there and... Uh, Cindy had told me, she said, you know, um, 
I'm a, I think I'm getting the story right, but I, she said, we're short a certain amount of money in our bank account and all and stuff. And uh, no, she's, she came up, we were coming up really close and all. And she said, um, she would do her book. She did it to a T. And she she said this. Uh, she said, we've got this amount of money extra in our bank account. And she said, I've been over it several times and I can't explain it. And I said, well, where'd it come from? She goes, I don't know. The bank hadn't made a mistake. And they made no, no, the bank hadn't. We, she said, I've looked at it several times and we have this amount. Is that this is right, isn't it, huh? And uh, we have this amount. And uh, and that's right. And then I started thinking it was the exact amount that we walked down front and we gave to the Lord. To this day, we cannot figure out where that, how that bank account changed supernaturally. You see, as a vast army, when we turn to Second uh, Chronicles chapter twenty, Edward, we'll look at part of it. It's a long scripture. After this, the Moabites and Amorites, with some of the Menunites came to make war on Jehoshaphat. And someone can't, same men, some men came and told Jehoshaphat, a vast army is coming against you from Edom and from the other side of the sea. It's already in Hazazon Tamar, that is, on Gedi. Alarmed, Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord, and he proclaimed a fast for all of Judah. And the people of Judah came together to seek help from the Lord. Indeed, they came from every town in Judah to seek him. And then Jehoshaphat stood up in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem at the temple of the Lord in the front of the new courtyard and said, O Lord God of our fathers, are you not the God who is in heaven? You are over all the kingdoms of the nations. Power and might are in your hand, and no one can withstand you. O our God, did you not drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel? and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend. And they have lived in it and have built in it a sanctuary for your name, saying, If calamity comes upon us, whether the sword of judgment or plague or famine, we will stand in your presence before this temple that bears your name and will cry out to you in our distress, and you'll hear us and save us. But now here are men from Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, whose territory you would not allow Israel to invade when they came from Egypt. So they turned away from them and did not destroy them. See how they're repaying us by coming to drive us out of, of the possession you gave us as an inheritance. Oh, our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. We don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. All the men of Judah with their wives and their children and little ones stood there before the Lord. Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, the son of Benaiah, the son of Jael, the son of Mataniah, and a Levite and descendant of Asaph as he stood in the assembly. And then he said, Listen, King Jehoshaphat and all who live in Judah and Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says to you. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army, for the battle is not yours but God's. I'll stop there because it's a long scripture. A vast army can be symbolic of what we have facing us in our lives today. A vast army. 
and it's coming against us. And Jehoshaphat, man, he said, what in the world, Lord, am I going to do? And so what did he do? He inquired of the Lord. He prayed. He said, Lord, what do you want me to do? He didn't have any idea what to do, right? How many of us here today, when we face a situation that looks uh, insurmountable, know what to do right off? I don't know what to do. To be honest with you, the older I've gotten, the more I realize I know nothing, you know, and I say nothing, you know? It's like, wow. Who was that, Gilligan's Army? Or what it was, uh, the guy who said, I know nothing. I know nothing. Remember that? <laughs> Hogan's Hero. I know nothing. <laughs> there you go. There's Sergeant Salt. Thank you, there. Uh, I know nothing. And this is what Jehoshaphat was saying. I know nothing, but I'm going to pray. And he prayed, remember? And God spoke to him. They stood in the assembly. They stood up. And they stood before the Lord. You see, when you stand up here and, and when you stand up wherever you may be, you're standing up in the presence of the Lord. And he inquired of the Lord and he said, don't worry about it. He said, because the battle is not yours, it's God's. Isn't that a good word, church? The battle is not ours. The battle is the Lord's. He'll fight for you. But what do we got to do? He says, what did he say there? He said, we don't know what to do, but what do you say? Our eyes are fixed upon thee. Our eyes are fixed upon you. I don't know what to do. So if you're in a place today where a vast army is coming against you, circumstances are overwhelming, get before the Lord. Get in your quiet time before the Lord and inquire of the Lord and say, Lord, I don't know what to do. I don't know. Maybe your finances are being drained. Maybe you feel like, hey, may run out and so forth. You said, don't be afraid that you are my shield. You said that the battle is not mine, but it's yours. Going on through the story a little bit further. Actually, what happened was, is that Jehoshaphat set the singers out. And the singers began to sing praise to the Lord. And what did the enemy do? They took and attacked themselves and killed themselves. Because somebody was singing and praising God. Is that absurd or what? I mean, instead of getting their rifles or their slings, slingshots or their bows and arrows and so forth, they go out and Jehoshaphat says, get out there and sing and praise the Lord. Hallelujah. It's absurd. But you see, some things that we do by faith is absurd. We give and give, giving that check there, and that was nothing. Because God owns it all anyway. And God said, if you'll be faithful, He said, I'll, I'll reward you. I will see you through whatever it is. Because it's a vast army coming against this country. It's a vast army. A lot of kids haven't grown up and understood things the way you and I. They still believe that obviously their parents are ignorant and stupid. Right? When they get older, they realize my mother and father were not as stupid as I thought they were. Okay. And we got a vast army coming against this church. The enemy doesn't want you and I to walk with the Lord in intimacy and in our giving our hearts and lives to him. He'll stop you. He'll say, Hey, you're good church folk. <laughs> You, I mean, don't, don't talk about this. Jim, talk about this idea of surrender all. Come on. I mean, you know, I did my duty today. I came to church. But what does God say in our hearts and lives? You know what he tells us? He says, give me your life. Give me your heart. Give me, 
You're all in all. And He'll come in like a mighty rushing wind. And He'll change. He'll touch your heart. He'll change your life. And you see, that's what it's all about. I believe we're living in an in a age where we can't mamby-pamby around about our relationship with the Lord. I, no condemnation, only conviction. But I believe it's, the time is, is, uh, could be short. I don't know when. Not a doomsday prophet in that way because let me tell you, it's going to be a glorious time when Jesus comes back. And you and I in that, we know God will protect us and God will guide us because we're his children. You know what you do with your children. You give your life for them. And that's what exactly what our Heavenly Father did when he sent Jesus. He gave his life. Psalm 46.10 says, Be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that He is the Lord. Amen. Amen.